0: Hey guys, it's Tana. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Oddity Podity. Summertime vacation is just around the corner, and that means it's time for outdoor fun. When I was a kid, that meant a trip to Dogpatch, and one time we even went to Liberty Land in Memphis. Liberty Land was home to Elvis' favorite ride, the Zippin' Pippin'. He loved it so much that he rented out the whole park for Lisa Marie just eight days before he died. But the park wasn't all fun and sunshine. Back when it first opened in the 70s, a teenager who worked the carousel died a horrific death when he reached up to catch a balloon that a little girl had lost her grip on. As he grappled for the balloon string, his hand became caught in the carousel's gears and his arm was crushed, killing him. Both Dogpatch and Liberty Land were eventually abandoned, joining the ranks of about a thousand theme parks across America that stand creepily empty. But when it comes to haunted and horrible histories, one of those parks stands out from the rest. I'm talking about Lake Shawnee Amusement Park in Rock, West Virginia. So if you're thinking about taking the fam for some amusement park fun this summer, keep listening. Because after you do, you might want to do some recon before you hit the road. To work in New Orleans, there were a ton of landmarks that gave me the creeps. But one in particular stood like a behemoth at the intersection of Interstate Ten and Five Ten. It was Six Flags over New Orleans, which was abandoned after Hurricane Katrina struck. It was surreal to drive past it and see it overgrown with swamp vegetation, all creepy and rusty and crusty and falling apart. In its glory days, it was crawling with families on vacation. Now it's just crawling with gators looking for trespassers to eat. Six Flags Over New Orleans is just one of many amusement parks that stand abandoned across the United States. Like I said, there are about a thousand of them. But Lake Shawnee Amusement Park in Rock, West Virginia has a unique history that makes it one of the spookiest among the bunch. The story of Lake Shawnee Amusement Park begins in 1775 when a frontiersman named Mitchell Clay and his wife Phoebe and their 11 whole kids set up a homestead in the West Virginia wilderness. The Mitchells were the first white settlers in a land that was inhabited by Shawnee Native American tribes, so you can probably guess that this tale doesn't have a happy ending. Although they were invading sacred territory, the Clay family managed to peacefully coexist with the Natives for eight years. Mitchell and Phoebe even managed to have five more kids in that time. Why? No one needs 16 kids! But hey, this was before the invention of birth control, so... After eight years of peace, something happened to set the Shawnee off. Maybe, just maybe, they were tired of hearing babies crying at all hours of the night. No one is actually sure what it was, but it must have been something pretty bad because the natives attacked and they killed Mitchell Clay's daughter Tabitha and his son Bartley. His son Ezekiel was kidnapped. And so with that, the clays formed a posse, and they tracked the natives all the way to Ohio, only to discover that Ezekiel had been burned at the stake by his captors. A century and a half later, in 1926, and long after the clay tragedy had occurred and presumably faded from the minds of the locals, a businessman named Conley Snidow decided that the old clay homestead, the very place where three children had been killed, would be the perfect place to open an amusement park, naturally. At this time, coal mining was a big thing in this area of the U.S., and the park aimed to cater to the families of miners who lived nearby. Now, this park was more than just Ferris wheels and swing rides and concession stands, though. The park also featured a swimming pool and a pond, both of which you could swim in. If you forgot to bring your own swimsuit from home, you could rent a high-fashion wool outfit for about 15 cents. If you were allergic to wool or just didn't fancy water sliding into a lake while wearing a full-body ShamWow, there was also a racetrack, a dance hall, a speakeasy, and cabins that you could rent overnight just in case you had a little too much fun at that speakeasy and you couldn't drive your Model T home. So Mr. Snid-I's amusement park really was as much for grown-ups as it was for the kids. In fact, it was a lot more fun for adults than it was for some of the kids. Even though the park remained popular tourist attraction for nearly 40 years, two boys drowned there, one in the pond that was open to swimmers and another in the lake, which eventually was not. But it was one horrific accident in particular that the park became infamous for. Remember that swing ride I mentioned earlier? You know the kind I mean, where you're strapped into a seat of a swing whose chains are attached to a rotating column? Then that column starts rotating faster and faster around, and all of a sudden you're circling through the air faster than anyone could ever push you. So there was a little girl who was riding on that very ride when a man delivering sodas to the park rolled up in his delivery truck. Now, this was long before backup cameras were a thing, and I guess the driver wasn't paying attention when he decided to back up because when he did, it was right into the path of those swinging swings. And the poor girl hit the truck and died right there while strapped into that swing seat. Some say that shortly afterward the park closed because it failed a health inspection. Others, who I tend to agree with, say it stayed closed because of that stomach-turning swing accident. Either reason is gross and justified. In 1967, the park shut its doors to the public entirely. But there was one guy who wasn't turned off about the wool swimsuits or the drownings or the murderous swing set or all those rat turds that they found in the corndog batter. Gaylord White, a former park employee, decided to buy the property and restore the park to its former pre-death glory. It took him nearly 20 years to scrape together the money, but in 1985, Gaylord bought the land and began preparing it to reopen. The whole White family pitched in. They bought a new Ferris wheel, and despite what happened with the swings in the soda truck just years earlier, they decided that an amusement park simply wasn't complete without one. In a gruesome twist, the Register Herald reported that the Whites finally located a swing up in New Jersey, but when they got it back to the park and ran its serial numbers, they discovered that it was the very same swing that had been in the park all those years ago. Yeah, the same one that that little girl had been killed on. The murder swing but that didn't stop them either. They went ahead and resurrected that horrible swing and added a bunch more rides, including paddle boats and bumper boats in the pond that that boy drowned in. And it took a while, but in the summer of 1987, the park held its grand reopening. It was a big summer with the 4th of July weekend drawing in nearly 10,000 people. Things kind of went downhill from there though. After just a few years, the White family could no longer afford the high maintenance cost of the park and they had to close it again. They tried to recoup the loss by holding fishing tournaments and mud bogging events on the land. I had to look up what mud bogging is, and it's what we down here simply call muddin. In other words, you drive your yee-yee truck down a track in a pit of mud, and whoever makes it the farthest wins. Honestly, until I looked it up, I thought the whole point of mudding was to get stuck, but this explanation makes a lot more sense. I learned something today. Anyway, while the Whites were preparing a mud track for some mud bogging, they discovered some arrowheads, and then some pottery, and then some skeletons. At this point, an archaeological team from Marshall University stepped in and took over. What they uncovered was a mass grave that contained an estimated 3,000 bodies, most of which were children. Experts believe that they were the Shawnee who died of some unknown disease and were left behind while the rest of the tribe moved on to escape the plague sometime in the 1700s. There, deep beneath the Ferris wheel, the murder swings, and the cotton candy machine, where for the better part of six decades children had been beating feet for sugary treats, lay the skeletal remains of thousands of Native Americans. This finding really explains why the Shawnee were so angry with the Clay family. I wasn't kidding when I said they'd settled on sacred ground. Mitchell Clay really had built his home on an extensive gravesite of the Shawnee tribe. So it was no wonder that they were a little bit pissed and took their revenge when he simply would not leave. With this, the park shut down for good. But the White family are nothing if not agile business people. The morbid history of the land made it a perfect place to do ghost tours, which is exactly what they decided to do. Admittedly, most of the White family haven't necessarily had paranormal experiences themselves, but an article on the Register quotes the son of Gaylord White, who recounts an encounter that he had with a girl who died on the swings. The article says, quote, Dad was on the tractor mowing the field, and he kept feeling a weight on his shoulders, White said. He didn't know what it was, so one day he felt the weight, and he turned around, and a little girl from the swings was there. She was in a ruffled dress, and she just appeared. He wasn't scared, but the only thing he'd think of was, well, if you like this tractor so much, I'm going to give it to you. So he got off of it, and he left it sitting there. It's still sitting where he left it in the late 90s, end quote. I can't say that I blame him for this. That would have scared the bejesus out of me, too. They also have caught security footage of the safety bar on one of the Ferris wheels raising up and opening all on its own in the middle of the night. If this intrigues you and you want to check it out for yourself, the White family still maintains the property, and they give tours and offer overnight paranormal investigations. They also do this thing called Dark Carnival Lake Nightmare during Halloween where they recount the park's history around a campfire and take you to visit the actual graves of the Clay Children, as well as a touring of the spooky old carnival rides, even the murder swings. If you're in the area in October, you can buy tickets for the event at www.wvlakeshawnee.com, or if you're there any other time of the year, you can book an event or tour as well. Well, that's one more thing to add to my list of must-visits. I'm not sure that I'm down for an overnight stay, but I would kind of like to check it out. Maybe in the daylight, though. As you know, I don't do kid ghosts, and the Clays had 16 of them. Plus, three of those kids died at the park themselves. Plus, all those poor Shawnee children. You know what? On second thought, due to the potential for a high volume of kid ghosts, this might be the one park that I need to avoid altogether. You guys go and tell me all about it. Guys, as usual, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate y'all coming back to see me again. And I hope that we can do it again next week. Same time, same place. Please come see me for a little more history and a little more haunt. We'll see you then.